I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably be lost for words. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Lost for Words podcast. I'm joined tonight by Matt Vincenzi. Slightly different programming this week. Normally this would be the betting show and then me and Matt would be doing the DraftKings show tomorrow. Uh, but Brad's not well this week. Jason's unavailable. So we are now doing the betting and the DraftKings in one show. Compartmentalising? That's not the right word. Bringing it together. Um, doing it in one show. Matt, how are you doing? Good. You know, they, they used to call that... Um killing two birds with one stone but i think Peter stepped in and said you can't say that anymore <laughs> yeah. so now they're saying you can feed uh feed two pigeons with one piece of bread or something so that's what we're doing there we go feeding two pigeons with one piece of bread i mean look at i guess that makes like more sense doesn't it it actually does like, yeah because like killing two birds with one stone is like a negative isn't it surely well yeah and it would be probably really hard to do because like historically was it did people want to kill birds with a stone is that something that, like I don't. I've never grown up thinking that's what the good old days used to be, killing birds with a stone. <laughs> well, the good old I've days. I've never thought about this. When you could use those sayings without people making just into a bigger deal out of this. Yeah, like pets would be on your back or something. But like, I mean, I get it. Like, we probably shouldn't be throwing stones at birds. So if your kids are taking that from there, then maybe that is good that we change it. But who knows? Um, but here we are. We're killing two birds with one stone. That is what we're doing. Um, we still use it over here, so it's not got lost in uh, England just yet. But um, PJ Championship, Matt. We we had all the right players. Yes. I don't think I could have got to the team we discussed earlier in the chat, but you basically pointed out that if we'd have picked, pulled our two picks, like, our favourite picks in each range together, we could have won the millie. We, we, I would say we would we would have. Like, my three favorite players and your three favorite players combined, I think, we would have been there. So what would that team have been? So Brooks, again, was my, one of my favorites. Um, Bryson yep. and Reed. Those are the yep. three players that I had that really well. And then I'd well. be Vic, Rose, and Cantley. Yeah. No. Maybe not Cantley. I don't. No. I only put five in there, but I don't know who we would have came up with. Yeah, last with one. Vic, Rose, and whoever we have money for. But yeah. It could have been anyone if you had that lineup. Yeah. So... I mean, I was very passionate about Rose. He actually shit the bed in the end, which is quite annoying. Um, no, but in, in the end, you were right. We talked about if yeah, uh, he, coming he could, into this. He could have been like five under on the front nine yesterday. Though. Yeah, he was missing shorties, which is kind of unlike him. And it just, like, I think eventually it just all quite out of him. Like, I think he was kind of a bit lucky. Like, his driver wasn't good all week, and he's kind of pointed to it already. Like, and actually, that's what caught Victor out yesterday, mm-hmm. was the driver. I mean, I think it was just the repeatability and the um just the tenacity that brooks shows in contention back to what brooks was like in 2017 2018 2019 as soon as he started showing out from the off like takes a three-shot lead very early i think it just puts the pressure on. like although he started coming back to the field like victor missed that five foot putt didn't he which was to be fair i don't think there was like a tap in like i think there was a pretty interesting putt to try and make but it was the one was it the seventh hole where brooks went in the hazard six yeah six and hovland needed to just hit a seven iron into the green and he put it in the bunker and to be fair he made a great up and down um but he should have been putting the pressure on making a birdie putt or birdie look of anything um and then someone today like basically said victor hovland's never gonna wait major because his short game's so bad and i was like yeah but that wasn't what lit him no, down it and good. it wasn't and it wasn't what lit him down at 
Augusta or St Andrews either. Like that's no. not like people are getting it wrong. Like he is genuinely making an impression. I know that season long he's 140th or whatever in around the green, but it, the small sample size and he spoke to it like it's just been over the last month or so that he feels like he's really improved it. And the stats kind of back that up. Like he's had a couple of, I think what it is with him is I don't think he's ever going to gain a ton around the green in birdie fest because he doesn't miss enough greens. Mm-hmm. So, that, so that when he does, I think this kind of makes sense when he does miss like one or two and he doesn't get them up and down, he's penalized heavily for it. Whereas when you are missing greens and just getting up and down at a reasonable rate, he can start gaining strokes. And I think, I think there's something to that. He gained 3.2 strokes on a, on a, around the green. So, I mean, that's as best you can ask for for him. And I was impressed by him. Um, yeah. There I, were I, moments. I, do you think if it wasn't Brooks, he'd have won? Yeah, I, I, I kind of do. I mean, I guess, I, mean I, guess it, I guess if it's Scheffler, if it's Rahm. Other than that, I don't know who would have, like, really forced him out. I think he would have beat Scheffler, honestly, the way, he, the way both of them were playing. Like, there was a couple moments where I thought, all right, a year ago, Victor would have messed this this one up or this one up or this one up. And I think he's just learning. He's getting better and better. I was really impressed um, and encouraged by what I saw from him in terms of majors going forward. I bet him at 33 to one at uh, Hoylake. So I think that's um, yeah. a good bet. I think it's a good open course for him because it's not necessarily a real grindy open course. Right. Either. Um, yeah, like I think like all you can look at, he's been in the final group at St. Andrews, penultimate group. Augusta final group at PGA. What like you, you can't say he's not good enough to win one. Yes, he hasn't won one of those yet, but there'll be people that have gone through eight of those times and never won one. Like it's and then they still go on to win. I mean, how many times would Sergio have had a chance to win a major and then it took him I don't know how many years it took him to win that first major, but it's it was a lot. Mickelson, it took him a long time to win one. Yeah, I mean, Victor's going to win one. Yeah, I think so. And I think it will be in the next couple of seasons. Like, I do too. I really do. I, I have a lot of faith in him. He's, I he's, think it's just because until he wins a mainland PGA Tour event, like people are just going to always have that on him. And it's good for me because it's like I think he gets a little bit underplayed and a little bit underbet because of that. Um, truly, I thought he was still quite good value last week. And, you know, it, it was Brooks and he, he couldn't beat him. But... I don't, you know, the one, it was one shot that really, he shouldn't, I think his caddy's a problem. Oh, big problem. I, I don't understand why he still has the same caddy. I mean, there's, there's no player on tour who's more obvious that would benefit from a caddy change, in my opinion. I guess he's another one, maybe like Rory, that just, he's not the type to be told what to do. So if you did put a better caddy in there, it might just not work. Like, yeah. Yeah, it, it was it was bizarre, but in the end, it was his driving that let him down. He 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 had a few loose ones, and that was it. And at the end of the day, Brooks won, and you called it. Um, Jason and Brad called it on the betting show as well, so we'll give them their their kind of shout out. It was a popular pick in the end. I still think he was about as short in the odds board as he could have been asked for by the time it started. Like he was like eighteen to one or whatever. Like I think that was about the limit, and you just had to decide at that point. Like if he was like twenty five to one, twenty eight, thirty to one, it's like, well, everyone would have bet it. Yeah, like it's a no brainer. Like when you're being asked to make a decision, you've got to decide how much stock do you put into that kind of couple of wins on live. Was the final round of Augusta like an actual disaster? And I think because of the pattern of the twenty twenty one PGA Championship, even Harding Park um, and Augusta, like there was a bit, there was it wasn't just one isolated incident. I think people just ruled him out a bit too harshly um, but he showed what he can do in the end 
Yeah, I mean, he, he's so impressive. Um, And, you know, I picked him, I, I think I said right after the Masters, I don't see how you can make a case for any other player being the third favorite instead of him. Uh, and I truly believe that. So even at 18, 20, I thought it was a it was a great bet. And the big thing was me was the Northeast success that he's had and the exact type of course that you'd look for. I mean, it was right in front of everybody's face. And like, like, like I did like I remember like obviously the Northeast discussions we had, but like it's there's been three majors in New York and he's won all three of them. Yeah. Like New York specifically. Right. Three, Four. Three. The other one was the other one was Wingfoot, but he came in sixth, I think, there or something like that. Is that New York? Yep. So, so is it, he's had, he's he's won all the PGA Championships in New York then, and yeah. then and then won or then contended the US Opens. But like, yeah, like it's just and he's so impressive. I mean, like a couple of the a couple of those shots. Um, in there's two examples. One was on on the, that first par five when he he came up short of the green he had to get up and down for a par and victor made he made that birdie that was the first time all day i felt nervous yeah. and i was like ooh maybe victor i mean i don't know, maybe he's going to do it and then he makes a you know a downhill straight downhill 10 11 foot little sidewinder and puts it in the middle and it was like that is such a clutch moment and then the next one when victor gets in trouble in the bunker um the same place connor's was the difference of him and victor right now was Brooks made a mistake on six and Victor matched it with another mistake on this one. Victor makes a big mistake and he smells blood in the water and he goes right for the pin, puts it to four feet ends the tournament. He's, he, he's opportunistic. I think the thing with him as well is like, I think he wasn't, I don't remember him serving an apprenticeship in a major. Like whereas Victor's had these three efforts already. Brooks kind of, when he had the first chance, he won it. And like, that's what people remember. So but like that, and the same with Morikawa and, and things like that, and same with you know a younger Rory. Every time, apart from the Masters, obviously, like every time they had a chance, I guess St Andrews in 2010. But like they won them very quickly and very early, and like everyone then holds the standards to that. But like Victor's just got so so long ahead of him, um, so many different chances. His his, his skill set's going to match up to everywhere. So uh, absolutely fine with what he's done, um, and just good to see Brooks do it. Like it, I can understand if people have their feelings about live right i get that we, we have this discussion on a weekly basis like you can think what you want about live i'm not here to tell you otherwise um but ultimately brooks as a golfer is historically a, a really important figure um and it was good to see i think and i think he genuinely did i thought he'd be more emotional yesterday yeah i did too he was he was a little emotional but I, yeah i do think he could have been a little more and you can't force that like it like he was exactly what he was like prior to all the injury problems and live like it that was what he was and that's why people never really warmed to him you either loved it or hated it then he had the the kind of emotional release at Jeddah when he won there and then i think he even got a little bit emotional even after orlando and stuff like that like i think but i think that was gen- a genuine like i'm actually injury free and mentally right and all that sort of stuff and then yesterday was like oh this is just what i expect now um so it was an interesting one. I think what's really interesting is the full 360 that people are doing now <laughs> about being so critical of him. Yeah, that, that's, he, he will be back on the PGA Tour within two years. Yeah, pro- I mean, maybe. Here's the thing for me, and a lot of these listeners I know don't listen to a DraftKings show, so they probably see me on Twitter and think I'm, you know, I'll live bought or whatever they say. <laughs> but what I've always said, and I think it's been proven to be true, I don't watch, I don't, I literally don't watch Live. All I said is the players that left 
are the same players on live that they were on the PGA tour playing on that tour is not going to change who they are. They're still going to be the same going forward. The lack of quote unquote competitive reps, isn't going to change anything. Um, and what made them great on the PGA tour will make them continue to be great. That's one. And two, Bryson DeChambeau is 29 years old and he's an elite player growing up. He's an elite player on the PGA tour. He won a major. If you think he's going to go away and never come back, you just don't understand how golf works. It's cyclical. Guys go up and down and up and down. So I knew that narrative. Oh, they left because they're washed. They're not good anymore. They suck. Like eventually that's going to come back to bite you because these guys are going to come back. I think the, tr- the trouble with live is they got, because they had to get these certain types of players to get it moving. They've got 20 players, 30 players probably that don't matter now. Mm-hmm. But historically they matter. Poulter, Westwood, Casey, Stenson, whatever, Sergio, but they're not going to have an impact on major championships going forward. So whereas DJ, Cam Smith, Bryson, Patrick Reed, Mito, probably I'd say maybe that's the end of the list, Neiman, I guess, at some point, like DJ are making an impact. They're not. So that's what they, they kind of categorize everyone in that same thing of, oh, they've just come to take the money. It's like, oh, they probably have. Like that's, there's, I don't think there's any debate about that, but I think when you look at what Brooks was like, like he never cared about the PJ Tour. He had what eight wins and five of them were majors, whatever it was. Like I don't know exactly the numbers off the top mm-hmm. of my head, but like he never cared about. I think Phoenix he enjoyed because he went back to back there, but like it never meant anything to him. So why does he not get paid a fortune for doing that fourteen times a year somewhere else? Like it, it's and then stay healthy and be healthy and go into the majors. And I I agree with your point about so the a lot of the criticism is the depth of the live tour isn't good, which is absolutely true. But here's the thing. Is Ian Poulter right now as good as I don't know, Tyler Duncan? Yeah, so it's, it's purely because there's because it's not 156 players, right? And there's no cut, so they're like, oh, they've got no pressure. And it's like, yeah, but they're still showing you in the major championships that they can deal with the pressure of trying to get through a cut. Now DJ was another one. He disappointed again. Like, he did disappoint. Yeah, he did again. Um, but I think I said to you like when we were talking about it last week on the drafting show, like, I think he's. This was a problem before he went to Lib. So your to your point of they're the players that they were before. I think he was slowly starting to get himself out of major contention as well. I think mm-hmm. once he'd won that one at the Masters and kind of reached a peak of what he wanted in his career, I think he kind of went on a bit of a downward trend. Whereas the other guys were coming up. Like Cam Smith, I was a little bit impressed by in the sense that like he looked like he was going the wrong way at the start of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I think that was a little bit injury related. I think that was a little bit of I've just got the bag and I'm going to actually just hang on my boys for a bit. Like. Is that not like it happens to everybody? Is that not human behavior for everyone? Like, it if, is. if I got given a six hundred thousand pound a year pay rise tomorrow, I'd probably relax off of it. And if you're not Tiger Woods, every one of these great players goes in their their peaks and valleys. Every single one of them goes in there. Yeah, and I guess like because like, when people look at so like people were talking about Rory McIlroy and his twins, he's got what twenty more wins than than. Kepka. And I agree with that. Like there is a consistency factor to it and it is really impressive. It just Matt like could Kepka win that many events if he wanted to. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know. I think he's probably the type of player that just has a certain style of golf and it fits major championships. I don't necessarily know that if he if he cared, I don't buy into the fact that if he cared he could win twenty more. But how much does twenty more mean in legacy times? Like Kepka was added to that list of people that won five majors and it's an exclusive list. And Rory's not on it yet. That's the question. Would Rory trade 15 tour wins for a major? So this is, I was thinking about the answer to this question because I knew this would come up at some point this week. 
I don't think he trades it for the PGA Championship. That's a good point. I think he, like, if you gave him from now for the rest of his career 15 more wins or the Masters, he'll take the Masters and just call it a day. What about a US Open? Because Brooks is two of those. No, I just think he wants the Masters just to do a Grand Slam. Like I think he's, I think that's all he cares about. Who's higher on the all-time ranking list, Brooks or Rory? Rory at the moment, I think. I think you'd make an argument either way. Yeah, I, I think Rory at the moment just because of the the impact, the the, the length of time. Like, like it, but the thing is, what was Kepka one year old or whatever? Yeah, no, he's, he's younger. Is he younger? Brooks is thirty three. I think Rory just turned thirty four last week. I thought Rory was only thirty two. I want to say he just turned thirty four. But like, um, there's a year in it either way, I think. And I guess the question is, who wins more majors by the end of their career? Yeah. And well, here's the thing too. We talk about legacy. So when they make a thirty for thirty on Rory, what's going to be the, in his career end of today? The overwhelming theme is going to be he underachieved. If you do one on Brooks, it's going to be he's a closer, he's a gamer, right? Only, only if he doesn't win the Masters. Yes. Right. So, career, so yeah. So if he gets so ten years down the line, he's won the Masters, and they do a thirty for thirty, and they go about the fact that he, he achieved that lifelong dream, and the last episode is him winning the Masters, and he won all four majors, won five of them in total, and won twenty-seven times, I say by that point, um, that's going to look really impressive. If if there's only three or four more wins and no more majors, then it becomes a different discussion. Yeah, Brookson. Rory are one year apart, both born. Brooks, May 3rd, 1990. Rory, May 4th, 1989. Rory's a year older. Okay. So then... And and Brooks has had the injury problems that Rory's never had yet. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, in Brooks, you could think... um, A lot of people say this, too. Like, I was kind of critical of people saying that Brooks would never come back. And they're like, well, he even said it himself. But like if you look in the mind of an athlete and they're going through a major injury and they're once the best player in their sport, of course, they're going to be questioning themselves. But it's really weird. That was the thing that people were positive about Brooks for. And now that's what they're being negative about. But yeah. like, but you, you can't you can't say that you would believe this all the way along because he was telling you he was hurt. And it's like, yeah, but you can still believe in someone more than they do at the time. Yeah. And, and if you're an athlete, you know that sometimes you'll. You're, the, you're your own biggest critic. Yeah. So, I don't know. Like, do you believe Brooks? Do you believe there was any of it for the camera when he was saying about how lost he was and he couldn't ever win again and all this sort of stuff? I didn't, I didn't believe him. I, I, when he was saying that, I was like, he'll win again. But again, it's just the mind of an athlete. Like, I, think, I think he believed it. Not that he believed it. I think he had self-doubt that talked himself it. into it yeah like right. I, I think i think he believed he couldn't beat scotty scheffler at that time right but that's probably true of 95 percent of the tour at the moment yeah and and three percent of the other remaining five aligns themselves that they can anyway and golf's a mental game and people say the live is not a good prep for the masters and all that stuff which proved out to be not true however you want to look at it whether you think the course, I mean, the, the course was a dog track in Orlando. No question about that. It was it was a sh- piece of shit track. But yeah. if he wins that, and now it's a mental thing, and now he gets confidence again, and he goes into the next thing and plays better because of that, then it was then the it was the tune-up that he needed. But I've, I, the, the 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 thing I've always made about this 
how often do players just have a week off before a major? And all you ever mm-hmm. hear is that's the way they like to prepare and they get to go and work on their own game. So what they do, they go and play like whatever club it is in Florida. Um, I forget the name of it. Like medalists. Cricket and cat. Like, yeah, medalists and those sort of places like where they're members. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Bears club. Bears club, whatever. Like, how is that preparation for Augusta? It's not. They're just, mm-hmm. that's just where they're comfortable playing and they want to work on their own game. So why is that any different to playing whatever like it it doesn't really matter i'd almost rather be the competitive one like when everyone says oh you shouldn't be playing the byron nelson or whatever the valero the week before a major because it's not the right prep and it's like well some people just get value out of making a load of birdies a week before and getting confident and some people don't like it's 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 never no there's never a right answer it's only proven right or wrong when someone wins Mm -hmm. and it's worked out so far the kepka and that's it i'm sure it's different with every player too yeah yeah like um like rory said in his interview yesterday and like fair enough like being pretty honest like he said he basically said his prep wasn't good enough like he took a little time off between the masters and now that wasn't enough i think he basically put too much into doing the masters in the first place he's never going to admit how much it was mentally draining him i don't think um but it was and that's what you can you can read between the lines on that um I think he'll be fine now. I still I still believe he'll be competitive at the Open. I think he's got a really good chance to win a Hoylake again, Rory. Um, but I think it's going to be with a lot more guys that people didn't factor in because they just completely ruled out these these live players. And it's um, I don't know. Like you can still you can still have your opinion on live whilst remembering that they're still going to be a factor. Does Rory having won at Hoylake before increased the pressure on him because any of those external things that he said, like even the the Rochester narrative this week about his wife being like all these things, I think increased the pressure on him. But this made me laugh. So like, did you see the video of Rory and Josh Allen? No. Oh, he was. I saw him. I saw a picture. He was like way shorter, brother. So, no, so yeah. So like, there was a video of like Rory walking towards Josh Allen, and Josh Allen was like, "When was the last time you played here?" And he's like, well, I played here in 2019 um, when they were doing the renovations. And I've, and I've been out a couple of times since. So this narrative that he was there all the time preparing for the PGA was just completely built. And he had no advantage because he, <laughs> like, and we said this, like, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Really, like, we're going to talk about Ryan Palmer later. There's a, there's a 15-year bank of form that proves that playing at Colonial suits Ryan Palmer. There's yeah. a lot of 15 years worth of thing for Rory that he's better at Oak Hill than everybody else. Like it's, it, and it's just such a different thing. So um, I don't think it puts more pressure on him that he's won there before um, because I don't think he, I don't think he feels any more pressure than he does because like, he's won all the other ones. Yeah. Like, it's just the Masters. I said at the start of the year, I think he's just as likely to win the PJ and, no, the US Open and the open than he is to win the masters yeah it's just that and i think for this one he just he just wasn't playing well enough going into it it's not like i actually was surprised how well he played in the end Mm -hmm. by the way he fought back like i guess the course conditions on sunday were perfect for him but like yeah i just i don't think i like he wasn't playing well enough it's simple as that like in every every event that he's been with the best players in the world, he missed the cut. The players missed the cut. The Masters. Yes, he finished second at Bay Hill on the elevated event, but never looked like winning. And then Phoenix Genesis, all that. He was middling finishes. Like it's yeah. 
just not playing well. He wasn't good enough. Quail Holloway wasn't good enough. So it was actually a result that he finished seventh, whatever it was that he finished in the end. Yeah. Um, I guess that's probably my takeaway for the PJ at the moment. I thought it was a really good event. I thought I was I was really was impressed great. by it. I think there was some criticism of the course, and I think some of it was founded, some of it was unfounded. I thought some was a bit harsh. Uh, I do think that it would have been good to see one of the par fives be reachable one point during the week. Um, I get that criticism. I get that there was a lot of people saying there wasn't much risk on the there wasn't a risk and reward short par four like the driver one. I get, but there, yeah, was, there was no there was a little bit. Yeah, just when you see guys getting to that big ups hill on the rough, like they still were getting that up and down yeah, most of the time. Like I, I think like in my head I was like, oh no, Victor, like you're going to struggle here, and then he was fine. Like I think that was. And like every time someone in the bunker and they made a big deal out of it, they were fine. Like I guess that was the issue. But mm-hmm. um, I still think it served its purpose. I still thought it was a good hole, and I thought it was a really interesting PJ Championship layout. It got the kind of winning score that you want from that type of major, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I overall I thought it was good. When you get the three leading players in tee screen finish first, second, and third, or first, second, second, I think that's what you want, right? Yeah, I thought I thought it was a really really good. And those criticisms I agree with. I even I didn't even know people were saying that, but that's what I said to a friend the other day that I wish there was at least a one reachable par five. Um, yeah, I thought it was great. My my only lone takeaway here was Bryson. I think uh, I'm a, I'm a huge Bryson fan. I love Bryson. Um, I'm maybe one of the few people on earth, and but I'm also a Sergio fan. So maybe I, I I am a I was a massive fan of. I had just a lot of respect for what Bryson was doing. I I think he's his worst enemy. I think he says the most stupid shit on earth. Mm-hmm. And that rubs people the wrong way, but I don't think you can ever criticise Bryson, the innovator, or Bryson the because people think about oh, like he just put all this weight on and then suddenly just smashed it, but like he was doing weird shit way before that. Like when he was putting his balls in bath salts or whatever it was and making sure they were <laughs> weighed. So like this guy has been this way for his like whole career, like the one length irons or whatever. Like he's he's always been at the, yeah. like he like he and. That appealed, and when you see, I think it's like a visual thing as well. Like when I saw him just walking around at normal size yesterday, like it feels better. I like it better. He should have. Yeah. He, he hasn't. He hasn't changed his clothes back though, has he? Did he want the? Uh, so um, his polos still fit the same as when he was like the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, and he, and he doesn't have the cap anymore, which is kind of weird. Um, yeah. He was getting a new logo on, but he. Uh, I was just impressed with like just the way he played. I mean, and he was hitting a lot of fairways and towards oh, on Sunday, he really didn't. But there was a couple of times where I thought, all right, he's made a double bogey. That's this is when he ejects and he never ejected. He always bounced back. He he, was, he played well. He did one where he completely blew one past. I can't remember which hole it was on where like he was like in the middle of the fairway and just blew it past the flag. Yeah. Um, and you think, OK, that's just a missed, like missed yardage. Uh, Victor did it once with a seven on his hand like. It just happens sometimes. I, I'm really impressed with him. I think you look at that, you look at St. Andrews. He's always going to get the shit that he gets at Augusta because he said it's a par 67. That's just going to live mm-hmm. forever in the memory, and it's just an easy um, bait. There's a reason there's not as much criticism around him, DJ, and Bryson at the moment. Yeah. And it's, and it's because they've been told to soften the takes because we want them back on the PJ Tour, in my opinion. I, I think it'd be, and he's a top. Three. I have him as number one. People would probably argue that top three character in golf. He's so good for the game. When he's in the tournament, the tournament is that much better. If he's in contention, I think he's just so good for the game and for the PGA Tour. I mean, I hope they would get him back one day because I, I love. I just I think he's great for the game. But this way, there's there's only one player that I've done a whole podcast about, and it was him. 
right, and, I, and, and, I, and I was going to do one with with Rory mm-hmm. at some point. I still will. But like he was, he, that was the one I did with Charlie Ford, who was a, a former European Tour player, and we talked about like how he's changing the game basically. And yeah, like that that says everything. And right or wrong, he he splits um, opinion, but that's the best thing for business. Absolutely, exactly. Like the PJ Tour want him. It's as simple as that. Like they want him on the tour. You want players that either people love or hate. Like this is the problem with this with a lot of the stars today. It's like Xander. What most people think, eh, Cantley. Eh, like I mean, I, and I know people hate Cantley now because of slow play thing, but there's no real substance to. Does anyone go out to see Cantley or Xander Shuffley? No. Like I, I've been to six Open Championships, five maybe. And I've never gone to know how I really want to see Patrick Cantlay. Like I've probably said, I wouldn't mind seeing Patrick Cantlay hit a shot just to say I've seen it. Or, was Andy yeah. or like they're passing, let's wait for them. But it was always, I want to see, it used to be like people like Poulter and Westwood. They used to be like, because I used to be a massive fan of them. And like, um, oh, I want to see Bryson because I want to see him hit the ball like he did. And um, Morikawa was at the time, like someone you wanted to see. Um, mm. Rory, obviously. It... They, they they want them back. Like I think the difference is now like people hate like people hate Sergio Garcia, mm-hmm. and he doesn't bring the upside of good golf and any real interest anymore. Like he's no, not. No, some people love, some people hate. Everyone yeah, hates and the, and there's just like because he had that. I think because of the quest of that people still wanted him to see to win a major at some point. Yeah, and all that sort of stuff. Now that's done with the Masters and all that sort of stuff. I feel like he's just done. Like the the Sergio Garcia story is done. Like he he had that really good performance with Ram at, at, at Whistling Straits and all that sort of stuff. It's just done. He's never going to play in a Ryder Cup again. So there's no real value to Sergio Garcia anymore. And I think that's yeah. the same with Poulter. I think that's the same with Lee Westwood. Yeah, it's it's the ups and downs. It was like you want Sergio back so he can finish 37th at the Memorial. Yeah, you know, like, it's just, it doesn't. There's no there's no uh, ceiling. Whereas like people want to see Bryson either miss the cut by 10 or be in contention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, I think that's the way to, to kind of summarize it. Um, I suppose we better get into this week. Yep. Let's do bets first. Um, so the solar market is Scottish. Do it. I'm going to do the English odds over here, so we can kind of translate them uh, over there. So Scottish Sheffield is nine to two, which is like plus four fifty. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jordan Smith fourteen hundred, fourteen to one. Uh, Tony Finau fourteen to one. Victor Hovland sixteen to one. Morikawa eighteen to one. And then you've kind of got Sungjae, Max Homer, Sam Burns in the 22 to 25 to 1 range. You messaged me earlier about Jordan Spieth. Mm-hmm. Are you betting him? I bet him. You bet him. Why? Because okay. it's, it's colonial? Is that it? Well, that's partly it. Um, I mean, his his results here are unbelievable. And for me, like a lot of people, I think, miss the fact with betting. It's like, yeah, if he's hurt and he withdraws before the tournament, you get your money back, that's fine. But yeah. if he if he's not, he has a great chance to win the tournament. And say he ejects after one round, doesn't play well, the wrist hurts, withdraws. Well, then he's never going to win anyway, even if he hung, you know, played okay in the first round. Like, So for me, the history is unbelievable. I mean, he has eight trips here. He has seven top tens, a win, three runner-ups. Uh, it's, it's like absolutely unbelievable. Um, Last week, I mean, if you, you're worried about the injury, which is is an actual concern, but he had his best strokes gain off the tee week last week at the PGA Championship. He was hitting a lot of fairways. Um, 
gained 2.7 on approach, and he was poor around the green, which you could maybe say had something to do with the wrist. Yeah. Which, but uh, he's had a great season all around. I mean, look at the form even leading into when he got injured. Yeah, you're actually he's actually eight for t- he's actually played it ten times and got eight top tens. Wow! And his worst finish is thirty second. And then, other than that, I mean, there was nothing even close to bad. No, I I just don't think he's healthy, and I think that he. Like a 29th place finish was really good for him last week, and there was obviously the positives there. And like before the injury, he was great. I think now he like he feels like he has to play to keep the momentum up, and that could be detrimental because like there's not really that much time now to get prepared for the US Open, is there? Like in the grand scheme of things. So mm-hmm. I think he feels like he's got to play. He's already missed the Byron Nelson. They've got the is it the designated event next week or the week after? Next week it's Memorial yeah. and Canada. Yeah. And so he'll so he won't play Canada, I guess. Yeah. So he's going to play Memorial. So I'm guessing he's trying to get himself tuned up for that. And where's best place to do it? Colonial. He knows it. I think he thinks he can win here with like his B or C game. It's probably what his mentality is. Um, and I think that's a little bit dangerous in terms of just taking the price like at him at 14 to like 12, 14 to one. Like I don't know what price you can make him because his history is so good. And as you said, the underlying stats are, are great from last week in perspective of like what was wrong with him i just can't get there at the moment i get that completely and another reason too that i like him and um is because if there was more value down the board like if tommy fleetwood and ricky fowler were 45 to 1 i would bet yeah. both of them but they're both 25 30 and it's like at that point i'm just gonna bet spieth at 14 who i think has a bet if he's if he's healthy is the most likely player to win this tournament you can argue with Scheffler, but i really think that spieth is um so I, I think Sheffield is still the, the, the most likely, but I think that Spieth, a healthy Spieth is way more likely, I think, than Finau here. You know, Finau's got a great record yeah. of this event. I think he's way more likely than Colin Morikawa. I think the, the final round yesterday for Hovland means that it's probably unlikely for him. Um, I almost weirdly thought that if Hovland won last week, he'd have gone close again. Like, I think it's just the emotional... Like, people don't like winning back-to-back, but like I, I think the emotional thing of... Like you could almost see on his face like that was the third time he's had a chance now and didn't get it done, and it wasn't even really his own fault. Um, I think it can be quite demoralising at times. So um, that's kind of how I felt about the top of the I just I'm never going to bet Scotty Sheffield at the price he is, so I don't. It's not even a factor. Uh, Spieth, Finau, just too short for me. Hovland was the only real decision. I'm not going to play Colin Morikawa, um, and then you've got Sung Jay and Homer. I'm not going to back at 22 to one. So like next last thing I'll say about Spieth. Yeah. Um, so course history, I think, is really important here. You see the very similar leaderboards all the time. So I looked at this. I ranked the um, course history for the players who have played here the last um, 24 rounds. He's first, uh, total of 54.6. The second best in the last 24 rounds was Finau, 38.5. So yeah. he is almost 20 strokes better than anyone else at this course over his last six trips. And go back further than that, it's it's probably even bigger. And and Finau's been great here, right? Like he's similarly yeah. never missed a cut. Like seven seven made cuts. He finished second back in 2019, and he was um, first, second, second, second after each round. Um, last year he was fourth, but that was off the back of a decent weekend. Like he actually had a slow start last year. I don't know if Finau like you know they basically say Colonial can't be overpowered don't they like there's just no real like it's still advantageous to be long but you can't overpower it and I think that's why he hasn't won here yet 
because I think he still tries to get his edge that way. Like I don't, although he's a great wedge player and short iron player is best, like having stood out all week, I think gets a bit repetitive for him and Mm -hmm. maybe just the reason he hasn't won yet. Um, I looked at Sam Burns just as a like bounce back thing and maybe that's more of a DraftKings thing at this point. Um, and then I guess I guess like Justin Rose came up in my thinking, but I just thought last week was so much more tailor made for him to win than this week. Which I know is he's obviously won this event, but that was a different Justin Rose at the time. Yeah, I mean he's at this his age and stage in his career, I think he just knows what it takes to get it done in big events, and I don't think this really does it. Yeah, like I mean, was he would he have been world number one when he won here? What year was he would have been twenty eighteen? I think he was up there, right? I think 2017 was when he actually hit 2017 one. 2017 was number one. Maybe he was like top five in the world. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I don't, I don't know exactly what he was, but he was a different player then. I know he's gone on to finish third in the COVID year, I think it was. Um, but I could see definitely see like a fifth, sixth, seventh place finish for Justin Rose. Um, but I could I back that, that 125 to one last week and 28 to one this week. Yeah. And you still got the, the big guys in there. Uh, I'm out on that. Fleetwood, I did look at. I think he's got uh, a good chance. And it's a good golf course for him. I've landed on Cam Davis, Matt, mm-hmm. which I get the feeling you may not like. So, so I do. I, I he was the first thing I looked at this morning. He because uh, I did the course history sheet and I looked through it and I was like, he was good last year here. And then look at what he did. His stats were incredible last week at the PGA. So I, it makes complete perfect sense to me. It's almost like remember last week we had the Woodland conversation. Like I don't yeah. have a really reason why. It's like it just feels like it's going to be that guy everybody takes and he ends up letting people down. But 100% understand the case. So, so that was the only reason I didn't want to bet him. But in the end, I just made the case too strong for myself. So he's just been so much better ball striking. We had this conversation ahead of last week, I think, or maybe it was, I can't remember, maybe the week before at Quail Hollow, whatever it was. Um, but at, at the Heritage and the PGA Championship, he's been great in approach. 14th and 10th in strokes gain approach that week. And he was fourth in tee screen in both those weeks as well. Comes into it after finishing tied seventh here last year. And then I looked at some of the courses that I like. So I like the Wyndham, John Deere, uh, Southwind, uh, Phillips and Jude, just because of like the, the short irons and wedges that you get there, the propensity of those. He's got top 15 finishes in all of those. And I like Austin Country Club, and he played really well at the match play until we come across Sander, which is, you know, no great shakes. So Sam Burns and Kevin Kisner have won both at Colonial and uh, the match play. John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler have both finished second here and, finished second and first at the, the match play respectively and then uh matt cooch has got a great record of both courses so to me the fact that he's got all these kind of um good finishes like i don't see cam davis as this guy that plays these kind of wedge and wedge fest and short iron sort of courses well but he does mm-hmm. um so i kind of had to retrain myself of what i thought cam davis was um and just if he's striking the ball well it was one of those like I thought there was going to be an even bigger overreaction to it. Like he's 50 to one in the States uh, earlier when I put him up, like uh, on odds checker. So the 50 to one I thought was fine. Um, it's a good number, yeah. And 40 to one I still think I'm going to bet. So Cam Davis will be my first bet of the week. Yeah, so you're starting um, down the board a bit, which I, which I like and is good. I'm kind of taking the opposite approach here where I'm picking two of the players among the favorites because I just feel like value-wise this week – that's where it is. It drops off so quick. It like, and I feel like a lot of the guys in the mid range are overpriced. Cam Davis, I agree with, is one of the ones who isn't, but I think a lot of them are. Who who's your next guy? Other guys, Morikawa. So I bet Speed fourteen, Morikawa eighteen, and those are my two bets for the week. That's it. Um, 
I just but, think it's a really good bounce back spot. I think it's a great golf course for him, and I think he's been on a run of golf courses that weren't suitable, and that's why he hasn't got the finishes he's had. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the argument I'm going to make for my next pick. <laughs> so slightly longer odds. Has he got a little bit of the yips going on though, Morgan? There's definitely something going on um, for sure. But I like so my case for him here is I talked about earlier about the um, just kind of the the valleys and the peaks of, of how it goes as a golfer. He, he started off so hot. Everyone thought he's going to win everything and he's cooled off. I just think it's been almost two years now. He's going to win something soon. And this, can, this is the course I feel like it's probably most likely at among the next, you know, six weeks or whatever it is. And I think one's coming soon. So I'd argue it's probably his last best chance of the season. Yeah, definitely. And I think he's going to win something this season. So that's, that's, you know, one of the reasons. That's what you got to do. Like, I think if you think more account, like I don't necessarily think he's going to win this season. So I just, don't feel like I need to take him. But if you do, then this is probably the place. Because, like, is he going to go and win it? I guess, like, US Open might be okay for him, but he's typically not done great in those, as, as far as yeah. I remember. I don't think he's long enough to win a US Open right now. But what is LA Country Club that long? Yeah, that's a good question. Maybe it isn't, but I, they got to do something to make it. I mean, for a US Open, right? Like, it can't just... Yeah. So, like, I think if... I mean, he's got a fourth-place finish in US Open, to be fair fourth and fifth so maybe i'm doing a bit of a disservice but yeah i just i don't know it's a tough one at the moment like i think the the value comes in like more when he gets these like kind of 33 to one prices and you are it's a little bit like when brooks used to get like 40 50 mm-hmm. off, of, off an injury or whatever um or what but i think people have been like they're going to start chasing him now because they've been chasing jt and it's not worth let's go to more yeah i know I, I know that's not why you're doing it like i think your reasoning is great but that would be like if anyone said to me like, oh, it's just the numbers getting too big and it's just too suitable, I'd be like, well, don't necessarily. Yeah. And that's not it's not a big number at all for him. I think I'd get, I would I, I would was hoping it would be the twenty two or something. But yeah, to me it's like how can you bet like and I love Fowler and Fleetwood. I'm one of the biggest Tommy Fleetwood guys ever. But how can you bet him at twenty eight to thirty when you have Colin at eighteen, sixteen yeah. to eighteen? I mean. So I, I just felt like this, the value-wise, it was too steep of a drop-off that I don't even want to mess with the mid-range for me. I just want to take one of those two guys, see if one of them gets in the mix. I think one of them will, and see what happens. Yeah, see, whereas I just felt like I could pepper this mid-range. So the next one for me was Chris Kirk. Um, I think he's most under, one of the most undervalued golfers of this season. Mm-hmm. I think he's been really overlooked. I think people look at I think I kind of said this the other day on the, the DP World Tour podcast I did last week, because uh, Matt Cooper put Chris Kirk up. And I sort of said, like, I think people forget what Chris Kirk was at the start of his career, which was actually a really, really good golfer for a, for a sustained period of time. Like, I think he won, like, three out of the first four seasons or whatever on tour. Um, and they, they see this kind of Honda Classic win as, like, a journeyman win who's finally getting, and he was just hot at the time. And I don't see that as a tour. I think it's him rising back to the kind of level he was at. So he's got five wins on tour. One of them's here. And he's just playing great. And, you know, this was the one I was saying about he's just not been playing suitable golf courses recently. He's played Augusta, finished tied 23rd. That's not a great golf course for him. He was 29th last week at the PGA Championship. Not a great golf course for him. He's he's had one more top 10 since uh, winning, and that was uh, at the Texas Open. So I don't know what else he really needs to to show. His iron game improved last week, and it had been the two weeks prior to that. Uh, 12 starts at Colonial, never missed the cut. He's got a win and six more top 16 finishes. And he was fifth here going into the final round 12 months ago. Yeah, and he was good in Texas a couple weeks ago. Yeah, 
he um he's I agree with you on the value thing. He definitely is playing better than the way they're pricing him. Can I see him winning twice this year? But that's know. all that's always the stumbling block. Yeah, like yeah, people, yeah, it is. Like people just can't and Brendan Todd does it and people don't believe it. And like, <laughs> like it just happens, right? Like it just it, it does just happen and it happens because there's question marks about the three or four at the top loads. This is a field packed with good quality players at the top. You could argue Scotty Scheffler and Victor Hovland are going to be worn out from yesterday. You could argue Morikawa's got a bit of a monk in his back at the moment. Tony Finau might not necessarily be the best fit. Sung Im missed the cut last week. Homer's not playing as good as he was. Sam Burns is going to be defending champion. All of a sudden, you get all these things and you just sit there thinking, well, Chris Kirk's not really got any pressure on him. Like, mm-hmm. he's already won this year. Nothing left to prove. He's coming in with good form and it's a course he likes. So um, that's why I kind of like Chris Kirk there. I looked at Russell Henley. I thought that mm-hmm. getting him on a course that he likes, he's never, I think he's only played it once and he finished like 55th or something, which is not great, but he's a better player again now. So I thought he was interesting. Brendan Todd, who I've just mentioned, I think at 80 to 1. Um, he's been good a, here. Yeah, and I think that's a little bit overpriced as well. Like he was he was eighth. Um, I think that was a Valero as well, right? No, that was a uh, Quell Hollow. So he was eighth at Quell Hollow, which you could argue is probably not a great golf course for him. He was third going into. Uh, the weekend at the Texas Open that had a really poor weekend. But he's been great here. Like, he's got three top eight finishes, and two of them have come in the last three years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Todd, I like Yeah, I like him. He's, uh, yeah, and I like some similar guys, especially Kirk and, and Todd, but to me, those like more DraftKings type. Yeah, like, I, I think it's just, and it's probably one of those weeks where you don't want to go too heavy after a major either. Like, yeah. Sometimes. And then the one, the one that really caught me out, that I never thought I'd say I'd like it from a betting perspective. Impus Wiedenhout's quite interesting this week. Yeah, in in my model, he was like second or third or something. Yeah, he's like, I think I looked at like Pats and he was second in his model. Like it's, it's, yeah, and it makes sense. Like it's the type of golf course that he would be good at. And ultimately in the bigger events, so the Players' Championship, he was fourth going into the final round, finished 13th. Um, you know, he was 19th, I think it was, at the Heritage, final round 64, 23rd at the Byron Nelson. I still just don't believe he can win, and I think that's the, the biggest stumbling block. Like, even at 70 and 66 to 1, I know there's each way value in it, but I still want someone that can win. Yeah, he, he's, he ranks first in the field in uh, bent grass budding. So, so my biggest conundrum is that, like, if I'm looking for a non-winner who can just n- nip me some kind of each way money, I'll just bet Ryan Palmer at 125 to 1. Yeah. Yeah, or Todd, who I think. Because it's the same. They're the same three guys, potentially, yeah. in terms of winning upside. Ryan Palmer's just, um, I think he he was right in the spot to qualify at the US Open. He's playing in Dallas at the moment. Um, but he was 35th at the Wells Fargo. Two starts ago, second place going into Friday. Open for 66. And then last week, he, or last time out at TBC Craig Ranch, he was eighth, and he was a 54-hole leader. He's ranked third in tee screen and eighth in strokes going approach at TPC uh, Craig Ranch as well. So I just think the way Ryan Palmer's playing, if he's ever going to win summer again, it probably is going to be here. He's had four top six finishes over the 15 years since he's played here. So I think this is, we talk about people having one chance a season. This is probably it for Ryan Palmer. Yeah, I mean, definitely. He's He's been playing pretty well. Um, and, and again, you, all your picks, you have the each ways too, which obviously I don't yeah. have here. So, 
so that's the thing that that's the difference so some of our american listeners obviously that listen to me jason and, and brad talk about it each week will will know what we're talking about there but like some that maybe are hopping over from the DraftKings show that listen to me or you or maybe people that are listening for the first time this week that can't get each way it's like that is such a big difference like when i think about brendan todd ryan palmer and and people like that like i'm baking in the fact that it actually be a great result if they finish inside the top eight for me. Mm-hmm. And, they, like, and I, I like those picks to do that for sure. Yeah. So that's where I'm at with those guys for now. I'll kind of summarize who I'm definitely betting. Um, but at the moment, I'm pretty sure it's going to be Cam Davis, Chris Kirk, um, Brendan Todd, and Ryan Palmer. And then it would just, just depend on wherever things fall um, as to what we do with that. I guess a couple of other guys I looked at. Uh, Sepp Stracker was really great last week I just wonder mm-hmm. what he'll do off the back of that I don't know that it's a great cause for him Vincent Norman's playing well I liked the price on him He's 175 to 1 um, And that was about as far as I got in terms of betting I didn't really look much further than that So Should we go on to DraftKings? Yeah, yeah Unless you've got any other guys that you thought Like long odds Long, the only people I looked at really quick was Michael Kim at 200 because everybody yeah. wanted to bet him three weeks ago because it was in Texas and he was coming off. It's a one bad start. It's not like he was horrible either. The cut was minus five and now he's 200 to one. Remember he got bet down from 100 to one all the way down to like 45. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like, 200. So massive. Like, but that's the thing I kind of like about betting Michael Kim at the moment is like you're still getting those kind of huge swings in odds. And the thing is with Michael Kim at the moment is we don't actually know how good he can be at this golf course because he's only played it three times and it was. Probably well, he was terrible. Playing terrible, and he had two miscuts, but he had one 41st place finish here, and he was 13th after round one. So, people are definitely feeling burnt by Michael Kim after, you know, the last start. Now he's 200 to one. Yeah, it's just one pit, like it's just one week, like he had one bad round. He was minus two after the first day. Yeah. So, yeah, interesting to see how that one goes. Uh, let's go into DraftKings. We we won't do it quite as detailed as we w- would normally do it because we're doing it in one show, I guess. But let's go favorite picks at 10K and above. So that's Scheffler, Finau, Hovland, Morikawa, Homer. I guess here is going to be uh, Morikawa for your temple. Yes. Like it, and and will you be playing Morikawa and Spieth both in DraftKings? I will because they the way they priced them was like I can't believe Spieth is 9900. I was hoping he was going to be the second most expensive guy and nobody was going to play him. Yeah, so is now everyone going to play him? Take a chance think, in the injury? Yeah, I think for the most part. I think he'll be up there with uh, Finau, maybe 17 to 20%, I would guess. Yeah, and that puts me off a bit. Yeah, it does. Because like, it's a bit disastrous if he does. But then I guess if it, in a, we never really talk about this. Like if, if everybody's making the same pick at like 15, 16, 17%, and he misses a cut, it's not as detrimental, right? Like if you're two or three percent guy misses the cut you're kind of on your own with it but if it knocks a load of people out yeah i mean that that definitely could be true i'm trying to think i know i know obviously you need six or six to win but yeah like it's you're not gonna if you're putting him in all of your lineups i wouldn't i wouldn't uh advise it like yeah. i wouldn't go full speed but like i think what i'm trying to say is like i think there's still enough value in sort of spot starting him in different lineups because Mm -hmm. like i think if you have another if you have five really good lineups and he doesn't he maybe he makes a cut and finishes like 30th or something because he's just not fit enough like i don't think that's going to kill you yeah i'm I'm a big fan of going 100 percent of guys i know a lot of people aren't last week i was 100 percent um 100 percent brooks 
DJ Bryson. Yeah. And DJ hurt me, but the fact that I had Brooks and Bryson in every one of my lineups, I had a really, really good week. Yeah. So that's, that's the thing, isn't it? It's like you have to form it. Like you basically take it as like you have to form an opinion, whereas some will, I can have a pool of players and spread them out. Like there's different ways of playing it, depending on what tournament you're entering. And a lot of people have 150 lineups. So in that case, yeah, you can say I'll play this percent of this guy and still be above the field, this percent of this guy and still be below the field. But I play, I say every time, eight single entry lineups, eight or nine single entries. And I, um, you know, so I take, I have a small player pool. I take a hard stance on all these guys. And if I'm right, I'm going to win a lot of money. No, I like it. Do you think there's a case that you need to start Scheffler? No, I don't. I he I say it every week, and I'm you know I've been wrong half the time and right half the time. But I, I uh, it was one event a couple of weeks ago, the other Texas event, where it's like everyone said you had to have him in your lineup, and what did he finish like ninth or tenth? And yeah, what was, what was he? They finished fifth at the Byron Nelson. Okay, but I think that was like you can still fade him and he finished fifth and you're okay with the price that he was at. And yeah, I, I feel the same way this week. He can contended kind of deep into the major. I, I don't, I, I'm not going to play him. Could I be wrong again? Probably. He's going to be the most popular guy and the most expensive guy once again. So never, I'm just never gonna, a great combination, is it? Yeah. Uh, the other 9K guys we talked about speed. So you got Burns, Im, Rose, Fleetwood, Kirk, Siwoo, Kim. Rose and Fleetwood. I will probably play, and I will definitely blame Kirk because I think nine one people don't want to play him, and I do. Yeah, I think he'll be you know twelve thirteen percent, which isn't too bad. Um, Fleet was you think, really. You think, fun. you think Kirk will be twelve thirteen at nine one? It, it seems like he's getting some early love from what I'm looking at. Um, I think because the course history. Yeah, I just I just thought people would see Chris Kirk with a nine in front of it and sort of panic. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was hoping. Um, right now, it looks like Siwoo is that guy. Nobody's really playing him. Um, yeah, and Henley. So Henley. Probably, probably a reason for Kim, though, right? He like, was great. He was great the other week, wasn't he? Yeah, four miscuts, 65th, and withdrawing his start sitter. Okay. Uh, in Texas, he was good there a couple weeks ago. But, but my favorite play is Tommy. He's going to be um, popular. Him and Rose are both going to be popular, which um, is fine. You want to look at the, the pivot guy, that's going to be Burns. No one's really playing him. I don't want to play him. But for me, Tommy, like. I worry about betting him, especially at 28, 30 to one, because I don't know if he can win. I think he probably can, but he hasn't played this course really. He's not not much history in Texas, but I just think he's playing so well right now that he's one of the safest players in the entire board, like to come in the top 15. Yeah, I like that. Uh, interestingly, with Burns, I think this is a really good bounce back opportunity for him. Yeah, like I, we we kind of spoke about it not being. So I know you're down on Burns in general, but like. I didn't think it was a good major for him last week. Like, Quail Hollow is not necessarily played. So you've got to look at the fact that he was sick first, 29th, 15th, and 11th before that. One of those mm-hmm. is the pairs event. And he's won this course. And it's not just the fact that he's won this course, because I think when he was playing the way he was playing, he could have won anywhere. But, like, is it not just the type of course he's good at as well? Yeah. Like the Val Spars and the South Winds and the places like that? I think there's a, there's a correlation with Val Spar big time from what from all the stuff that I was looking at, like you had, um, and that's one reason why I thought Tommy might be able to play pretty good. Yeah. Like him, but, him, I think that brings him Rose and Burns into it. Mm-hmm. And Spieth, hmm. he plays well at both. He was yeah. like, second or third this year. Um, so yeah. I, and you know what? He does back up places that he plays well at, even when he's not playing that well, like, um, Valspar this year, he was in pretty bad form going into it. Miscut, miscut, 35th, leading into Valspar, and he still finished 6th. Yeah, and then one a week later. Yeah. 
and a um, match play. And I like Austin Country Club as a little bit of a crossover. Then he goes into the Masters, plays well, plays well at the Heritage. Well enough at the Heritage, I should say, 15th. I mean, it's definitely a great leverage spot. And if I was a Burns guy, I'd be playing him. So like what, like, guy, Yeah, like what I'm thinking, like I'd never been a Burns guy, really, but it was more because he was so popular last year. But like at this point, he's not popular at a course he's won at because he's missed two cuts at courses where I never thought he was going to play that well anyway. Yeah, a lot of people bet him last week, which I was really surprised about. I think people just see him at 50 to 1 now because he's won like six times. They're like, yeah. whatever. It's like, I get it. I get the mentality of it, but it doesn't. Like, I did that with Homer last week. I think he's a certain course. I think Burns is a guy you want on certain courses. Yeah. And, and yeah, you're right. He needs this is one of them. Birdies. I think he needs that. Mm-hmm. Like, he needs. So I actually think Burns is a good player if he's low owned. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm not going to play him, but I think he's a good play. Uh,. Eight, so this is Fowler, Henley, Denny McCarthy, Cam Davis, Tom Hoagie, Mimou Lee, KH Lee, Brian Harmon, Jaeger, Taylor Moore. I obviously like Cam Davis. I'm not going to make the case again. I've already done that in the betting segment of this. And I guess that's where I'd make the case for Henley as well. Like I think this is a good good spot for Henley to play well. I like Henley too. He's going to be way less uh, lower owned than any of these other guys. I'm seeing like, I don't know, 5 or 6%, which I think is, is very good. Um, where Davis will be the most popular guy in the range um, by a decent margin. I think second in that would be Jaeger. People seem to be want to go to him. So I think Henley's a great pivot option there. Not to mention you got Ricky up there, who a lot of people are going to play. Um, what do you think about Ricky this week? Can he win this thing? Probably, but I don't have any reason to think he will. He's still never like it, like it just It doesn't feel like what Day was doing. It still doesn't feel like it. the consistency is remarkable, but like I still don't look at like people are just saying like he's gonna win soon. I, I'm saying in the fact like I want him to win soon, mm-hmm. but like he missed the cut last week in the PGA that like everyone thought he was gonna do well there. Like he what was he like the third highest home player end of slate? I know he was cheap, but like that uh, was, yeah, that I don't claim because of ownership. That was mad. I, I can see him finishing tenth and just but that would still be what his joint best finish of the year, the yeah, calendar year. He's played well. He's he's like balancing the line. It's like almost impressive how well he's played without ever contending. Yeah, like yeah, it's like it's yeah, it's an achievement in itself. Whereas like I look at Henley and he's just gaining strokes every week with his irons. Mm-hmm. He he was terrible with the putter last week. That's why he missed the cut. And he only missed the cut by like one or two shots, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was good with the irons. Yep. So he, I like he was, Henley. I think Henley's a great play. Like I think if you can, I I have no problem because I want to play Davis. Why not start my lineups with Burns, Davis, Henley? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really interesting thing to do. Um, and the other guy I was looking at here was we talked about Valspar, Taylor Moore. He wasn't good at the PGA, but was he ever going to be? And then um, this is a, he's going to be low owned and he's relatively cheap. Like I think he's better than Jaeger. I think he's um, you know better than some of the other so guys. So he's got more upside than Jaeger, isn't he? Like I, yeah. so I was so I was kicking myself a little bit that I didn't back Jaeger for like a top twenty last week. And even in running, like when he was like, I think he was like 30 something after round two and he was hitting his irons really well. Uh, he was like two to one for top 20. I was like, I should do that. And I didn't. And then I was like, he got up into like 16th, 19th or something. And I was like, why have I not done this? And then he goes and shoots 77 yesterday. Like, yeah, he's he's not that guy. Like he's he's a really solid, good guy that's, that's padding out the stat sheet and and making cuts. And it's really impressive. And it's good to get you through. But he's not that guy that's got the winning upside. Whereas I think... I generally think Taylor Moore could win again. Right. I do too. Um, and I just think 
I just think his I know he missed a cut, but I still think his floor is pretty high at a place like this. Yeah, like what like what do you see how do you see Taylor Moore as a player? Like what 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 do you think he is? For me, I mean, I look at look at him as a ball striker. Yeah. Um and he's and he's a pretty he's a good putter. Like he's not he he's I think he's just a solid ball So he's not because he's not like he doesn't gain straight through distance, does he? No. Like it's like it's he he can hit it long enough, but like he's gaining strokes off the tee in a way that like Russell Henley would, I guess. Like yeah, let me see distance accuracy here. So yeah, he's actually he's actually really long off the tee. In, uh, according to um to what I'm looking at, driving distance gained um, when he won Valspar 10.6, 11.2, 12.3. So, okay, so so he does do it for distance. Yeah, he does do it. it. It's not necessarily through ac- accuracy. Good drives gained, he's pretty bad. Fairways gained, he's average. Um, that would potentially suggest this is not a great one for him. Then. Yeah, and maybe it is because because like, Valspar is that is that club down spot where you can do it well with your like. Burns plays well there, and Woodland is playing co-crack, and all those sort of people play well there. So he kind of fits in that mold then, maybe. In Valspar, do you think you can let it go of the driver more? I just don't think I just don't think they need. Like I think they take advantage of like three woods and stuff. Whereas I think here you have to hit driver, but you can't hit it too far. It's a bit of a weird course, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so he's longer than I than I thought. Like. But he's still not massive. Like he's he's 69th in driving distance. Yeah. So. So maybe he's just having 40%. a good percent. Yeah. So he's an interesting. He's a bit of a bit of an interesting. I still don't think we know what he is. Yeah. I, don't like, I think I think I've been saying this for a while. Like him and Alex Smalley, I feel like are similar types of people. I just don't know quite what they are. Like when I look at it, like I like the fact he finished fifth at the Wyndham because I like the Sedgefield comp. Mm-hmm. Um, and he played okay at the FedEx and Jude as well. Gained with his irons there. Finished 31st. So. On paper, it looks like he should be a good, good pick for me there, AK. But um, just not quite sure what he is at the moment. Right. Yeah. No, I can see that. In the seven K range, Kitty Armour's seven nine is the top prize player. Is he going to be popular? Yeah. No, he's not. I think that's wrong. Yeah, I kind of do too. Like he, so he's won Bay Hill, which is like a classical track, different type of course to this, but you know, classical. Um, play well at the match play, which I love. I've already spoken about that earlier in the show. And then finished fourth last week, gaining in every single category. Yeah. Why, I mean, why, why would he not be popular here? He's kind of criminally underrated, isn't he? Every single week. I mean, um, he has he played here? Yeah, four, he finished 40th last year, and he was 17th going into the final round. Yeah. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm playing him. That That's a very easy play for me. So if, if he's not popular, so I've got him not popular, Sam Burns not popular, Russell Henley not popular, which gives me the chance to play the guys like a Cam Davis who I do want to sort of eat the ownership with. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm I'm doing yeah, okay here now. No, that lineup's very um unique, I would say. What's what's the the lowdown on Brendan Todd's ownership right now? I guess he's going to be Todd. semi popular. Yeah, like nine ten percent, I would guess, which I think he's all right. So I can at the moment I can play Burns, Henley, Davis, Kitty Armour, Todd, Palmer. Mm-hmm. That's 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 the line. Money on the table there? No zero. That's that's full. Wow. Yeah. I mean that's definitely a unique lineup. No no doubt. I quite like that. I like it. 
I don't yeah, I like, like it. I think you've got the the Palmer that doesn't quite give you the winning outside, but I still think Todd can win. I still think Kitty Armour's already won this season, and I truly believe that both Davis and Burns are, are strong winners, and Henley could do whatever. I don't know what Henley's going to do this week, but I just think he's a good leverage spot. So, yeah. Henley could win, I mean, in theory. And then Palmer's a guy, too. I think he's a type, if he makes the cut, which is like, I think he outscores his. Uh, place on the leaderboard because he makes a lot of birdies and eagles and bogeys and which is always a good thing for DraftKings. Yeah, volatile. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any more for you? Do you want to mention in the eight Ks or the high sevens? Uh, Harris English has been good here. I don't, um, get, I don't get Harris English at the moment. No, I don't either. He's like he was he was quite popular last week, wasn't he? Yeah, because he was third at Wells. Yeah, and then just missed the cut and never really looked like making it. Yeah, he 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 still gained strokes with his iron, so that's okay. Um, yeah, I kind of I kind of could could play him. Um, so he's had a second, a fifth, and then three more top thirties here, and then just two miscuts. So he's he's been historically pretty good. Yeah, that last twenty four rounds were a strokes game. Um, he he ranked like third or fourth behind Finau, Spieth, and I think Todd maybe. Um, so I, I think I will play, maybe play a little bit of him depending on how I how I construct. And then Grillo's the other guy. Yeah, I like Grillo. I thought you were gonna say him. I like him a lot. I mean, last week he missed. He was bad at the PGA, but I mean, whoever really expected him to do good before that, he was great. Yeah, I really like Grillo. I think he like he's been good here as well in the past. Like it's and it's a course you look at and you think that's Grillo, right? I I look at it in that way. Um, yeah, he's I mean, popular. He's, I think he's been better than probably what we're saying. Like he's third, eighth, nineteenth, twenty fourth here. He's missed one cut. So I like these guys that just make the cut here. There seems to be a few of them to be fair that makes the cut here almost every year. Like Brian Harmon's even another guy like that. So it's maybe a course that if you're a certain skill set, it's almost hard for you to miss the cut. And then it just yeah. depends on what you are in terms of like contending upside. But when you've got one that, you know, Grillo's been third and eighth, Brian Harmon's had three top tens. Todd's had those kind of third and fifth place finishes eighth place finish like that's all pretty good from where they are in the in the the point and same with palmer so yeah all the interesting players there um what do we think about ryan fox i guess i should be telling you but like i've been really impressed with him. like 26th of the master 23rd of the pga yeah uh, he was great. I mean, I was on a um, New Zealand radio station last week previewing the PGA, and there, like half the questions were about Ryan Fox. So I feel like I, I'm actually now well versed because it was after well the previous previous one it wasn't, but then I went up, went back on because they wanted me back on after round one, and it was like all about Ryan Fox because he was two under. Yeah. Um. I don't know. It seems like it should be a pretty good place for him. Like he's one of those people. I think he probably needs a little bit more open. Like I think he could get caught out here, but. Because you didn't really get, I don't even think you necessarily got punished for being that errant off the tee last. Week. I know, like, if you were wide enough off the tee, you kind of got away with it. Like, it's it's a bit of a weird one. Like, it just depends on what lie you got. Whereas, like, Masters, you can definitely just be a bit wide a bit. So, I don't know if you can get away with that this week. But I don't think he's massively like inaccurate. No, all his good. It's funny, all his good starts are on um, like difficult. I mean, like big events. Yeah, like he's like 14th at Bay Hill, 27th at the players play good at the match play and like that's what caught my eye the match play like he he gained massively on approach and was terrible with his putter and off the tee as well so i could just see him having a good week i don't think many people are going to play him i think he'd be a little <coughs> play yeah i'm interested by him i looked at um aiden buckley seven three yeah he seems pretty good he's he's probably gonna be pretty popular but i i mean he's playing great and then we talked about at the start of the show what is like sep's tracker 
Seven K. The brick shit house. Missed two cuts here, but he on his debut opened for sixty six to be sixteenth after round one, then missed a cut for seventy three, which I don't think is terrible. So it's weird. He's got, he's gone sixty six seventy three to Mr. Cut, and then sixty eight where he was fourteenth after round one and seventy four to Mr. Cut. Mm-hmm. That's pretty. Like it's nice that he's had those low couple of rounds. Yeah, no, it is. I, I like that. My concern is, did last week just come out of nowhere? It could, yeah, that's, yeah it, it, it could be. Bit, it wasn't like, like we didn't miss anything. Like he, he missed, he lost strokes with his irons in three straight events, three straight events before that. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we were missing something by not playing him. It's just, but then he's finished fifth at the Honda. He played well at Texas, twenty second. He's had those two good rounds here at seven k. If he's not going to be popular, I think that's a good play. Yeah, no, I do too. I do too. Um, I looked at Sa. He was good last week. Yeah, you don't like him either, so that's a that's a big old yeah. 360 for you. I've bet him a couple times, but um, yeah, I usually don't. Uh, he was re- he was really good last week as well. Like he felt like he like belonged there. That's a bit of a weird thing to think, but like he, he looked didn't look out of place when he was sort of playing well. Yeah, stats weren't great. Um, I don't know, maybe not. Um, another guy I'm gonna go back to, which is crazy, is in first. How was Michael Block 6900? Uh, Cam Cam Champ. Um, I played him at the last Texas event, and it could have been a mistake, but he did make the cut, finished like 50th, was fine. Um, but he seemed like he's trending. He's gained strokes on approach in two of his last three. He's. It looks like you know it's not a great place for him if you don't hit fairways, but he actually has been gaining. Um, fairways gained and he's actually hitting it relatively long and straight so i think he could be another i don't know a decent spot for him 14th here in the covid year third round 65 oh wow i didn't know that did they, did they set it up differently that year because it feels like a lot of players that don't normally play well here played well that year like and i don't know if it's just because they had so much prep like because it was the first start back wasn't it like, yeah that and i think the field was just like so strong everyone played yeah, but that, that should that would you would think that would mean that these guys would have been worse, wouldn't you? Like it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird. Like it almost feels like a lot of players, and this is definitely anecdotal because I don't know, but it feels like a lot of players had like their best finish that week. Like Colin Morikawa was second that week, and then 14th and 40th since. JC Poston was 10th that week, two miscuts since. Justin Rose third that week. He's obviously won before, but then 20th miscut since. Like it could be like half the guys probably didn't pick up a club for a year and the, or six months, yeah. and the other people did. Yeah, maybe. Uh, is their winning score different? Let me see. The COVID year, they're 15 under. Now it's pretty good, pretty normal. Yeah, weird. I'd say he's uh, been in, gaining strokes for his approach, but just doing nothing with it. Andrew Putnam. Yeah. He's just not been taking advantage of it. But he was good at the match play as well, right? He didn't gain strokes that week, but he was, he was playing well, didn't he? Like for a good couple of games. Yeah, I think he went to the final 16 or something. Yeah, so he's interesting. Has he played well in Texas or at this course? I don't think he's played well here. Uh, no, he has. So 20th, 3rd, 15th. Wow. Yeah, seems like a good play to me. 20th, 3rd, 15th. 15th last year, too. Yeah, I like Putnam. Yeah, I'm playing Putnam. What, what's his price? 7-1. Mm, good. How about Stevens? I mean, he was good in Texas the first time. He was good, pretty good the second time. 
Yeah, I think that's fine. I think him, Putnam's track are all good down that 771 range. They keep getting priced around Matthew Neesmith, which is weird because I don't actually know what he does. Um, yeah, I like that. Then you've got Champ, you already said, in the 6'8". Ben Martin, I think, is going to play well again at some point. He's 6'8". What's Akshay going to do? I don't. It's not by the coast, so I don't really care. But like, he's been gaining strokes and approach a decent clip, I think. He has. He has. Um, it doesn't seem like a great course for him because he can get a little wild with it. He can. But didn't he play? No, he didn't. He missed the cut of Aspar. The type of events where I, you can get in big trouble, I don't like for him yet. I just I just think he's going to play well by the sea. That's just always what I think about. Uh, I agree with that. And people, a lot. He's going to be wicked popular at 6,700, so I'm out. Yeah, he can stay there. Um, 6Ks. Wicked. You guys probably haven't heard that word used in that way on this show. Probably <laughs> ever. The Boston, that's a Boston thing only. David Lingworth was playing well for a long time, wasn't he? He was. 6,200? Isn't that really cheap? Yeah, it is cheap. He's got, he's got eight, so his first four finishes of this course, 18th, 5th, 33rd, 12th. And he's 6,200. I get yeah. that he's missed three of his last four cuts, but he made the cut at Quail Hollow. He was 20th going into the weekend. He was 27th at the Valspar. He was 10th going into the final round. His missed cuts came at the Texas Open, which you don't love to see. One of them was the team event. And the other one was a PJ Championship where he's never going to make the cut. Yep. So he's $700. That's way cheap. 700 cheaper than Michael Vlock. Yeah, that's hilarious. Is he going to make the cut? I hope so. I, I kind of like the Michael Vlock thing. I know people are getting a bit like... No, I, I like the thing, but I don't think he's... No, it's quite funny. They've compared his odds and he's like... He's like got better odds than like 20 players, isn't he? Or something ridiculous. Someone DM'd me and was like, can Michael Vlock win this week? And I wrote, ha, 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 ha. And they said, will you match... Th- would I win if he wins? And I said, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'll match it. I don't know how much this guy bets. Hopefully not too much, but yeah. I'm not, like, I'm not like too put, worried about it. Let's hope he puts a pound on it. Um, yeah. No, it's funny. I mean, I hope he top tens, just keeps top ten. Okay. Well, Action Network posted something saying his odds and the make, to make the cut was minus 120. I said, so what am I getting to miss the cut? Am I getting plus or yeah. even money to miss the cut? I'll, I'll fucking hammer that. Yeah. There's too much going on as well. Yeah, I mean... The only thing I would maybe, say, he, I thought he was just going to completely melt after making that holding one. Because I just don't know how you bounce back from that, like recover from that. Yeah. But he did. As Nance said, one of the great up and downs of all time <laughs> on 18 there. So, yeah. <laughs> that was ridiculous. No, it's a great story. It's a great story. But, I mean, if I can make money off fading him, I will. I think, yeah, I think the thing is people like... There's some people that haven't comprehended just how big of an achievement it is. And then yeah. there's some people that are just getting too caught up, like not asking you whether he can win. And, yeah, you know. somewhere in between. It's an incredible right. achievement. I mean, unbelievable what he did. It's absolutely unbelievable, but that probably ends here. I'd probably never be so happy to be wrong. I'm going to sit here and say he's not going to yep. win. What a hot take. Uh, I agree. He's, unless... he's not, he's not going to win the Charles Shaw uh, challenge. Unless that guy puts a lot of money on that, I won't be happy to be wrong. But other than that, is it Michael, Mike Kim, sixty-seven hundred? So there you go. Same cases to bet him. Yeah, good. There we go. I think that's enough. Like I think we've we've covered this event. We probably spoke about it longer than I predicted. Um, 
do we need to have a wider conversation about Brooks, Rory, major championships in general, legacies? I, th- I mean, I always want to have those conversations, but I mean, it comes down to what people want to hear and what people want to listen to, right? Yeah, get, get people that are listening that have got this far. Uh, just give us like if, if you're listening to this part just tweet us and just let us know if you want to have that conversation like me and Matt will talk golf for hours even if it's about colonial um, so when it's a conversation where I think we might even differ slightly in opinions and stuff like that like we will go for a long time with it, um, and we will kind of put our research to it and stats to it and all those sort of stuff as well as just cut feelings on it and I think those bring out the best conversations because I will always have a counter to every point and so will you. Like, I, I don't, like, I don't think we'll just go, yeah, all right, then, whatever. Like, it, that's just not going to happen. So for an hour and a half, we'll go back and forth on those sort of discussions. Um, yeah. For me, yeah. Um, it always feels like I am have a timer in the back of my head whenever we get to talk about something that I really want to talk about. Yeah. And it's like, well, we still have to draft kings and this and that. It's like, it would be nice to have a, a forum where we could kind of just let it go and see where the conversation takes us one day. Yeah. So like for yeah, I think at the moment like I think both just got busy. Like you were doing your kind of basketball stuff. You were hot in that. Like I've got like the uni stuff and all this stuff going on. But like when the summer comes around, I think we kind of get freed up a little bit. And we can have these mm-hmm. kind of more more topical conversations. I think we'll really enjoy those. So uh, if people want to hear those things. Let us know. We'll we'll make the time to do them and, and research them properly. And maybe even like a, a, a three part series, like one episode per month over the summer or something yeah. like that. Yeah, like something that like you know, like a history of majors or or whatever the people want. Like we'll leave it to people to make suggestions as well. Like we're always keen to take those on. So we want to cater to other people. Let's summarize. So we'll do the betting picks first. So you're gonna go with and I'm gonna do this in, in English terms for people for the time being. You're gonna go with Jordan Spieth fourteen to one and Colin Morikawa 18 to 1? Yep. Are you just going to play both of those win only? Like if you had the choice to play them each way? No, both of them win only, that's it. Cool, both win only. I'm going to go with Cam Davis at 40 to 1, eight places each way. I'm going to go with Chris Kirk at 45 to 1, eight places each way. Uh, Brendan Todd at 80 to 1, eight places each way. And Ryan Palmer, who, where is he now? I think he's eight places, 125 to one. If he's not, he's definitely 110 to one, eight places. Like, I like all of those. I'm not going to get to between how, like I said, I potentially could have done. Um, I actually think Kissy Armour's a decent number, actually, at 60 to one and 50 to one as well. So I think that's one to potentially revisit. Um, but, yeah, that's where I'm at at the moment for my card. Favourite DraftKings play, Matt, um, 10 for Colin Morikawa for you in the top range? Yes. I'm going to go with Victor Hovland just because I think he could still have a good week, but no real uh, confidence in that at the moment. 9K, are you going with Spieth? Absolutely, yeah. I'm going with Sam Burns at 9.7, so we're taking the top two guys, but for differing reasons. Um, 8K, I'm going to go just for sort of pivoting purposes, Russell Henley, or I do love Cam Davis. I'm going to go Russell Henley too. Cool. 7k let's have a couple of picks in here so um in terms of people that i just think could be really solid for you i think brendan todd and ryan palmer 72 and 78 fulfill that uh kind of role but i think both set uh, and andrew putnam are really interesting at seven and seven one i do too um i think i don't think i wouldn't talk about who i kind of like is hostler i know he's kind of fallen off a little bit but i think a decent price for him um 
I would go Grillo. I just think his course history and the way he's playing, he's going to be somewhat popular, but he's my favorite play up there. And then at the bottom, I like Putnam too. Hostler has fallen off slightly, but he's still making the cuts right, which is mm-hmm. the most important thing. And he was actually the 36-hole leader here last year. Wow. Which I don't, re- I don't remember at all. Hostler. 21st? Yeah, that's right. So Hostler in his second start here was, he finished 64th, but he was third after round one, sixth after round two. Jesus. Then he finished Then he finished 40th, and then he finished 21st last year after being the 36-hole leader, 66-65. So bet on to be the first so, round leader. So first round leader outright and in draft. Then, then bet a matchup against him on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. And then put him up against Michael Block on Saturday. Yeah, bet, there you go. Bet Michael Block. Um, I nearly bet Michael Block against Rory yesterday just just to really feed yeah, into my own narrative, but I didn't. I bet uh, I bet Phil against um, JT. JT. Yeah, great. Yeah, went well. Um, yeah, really good week for you last week. Um, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Nice, nice when they fall those fall into those chips. Um, yeah. That's not the saying I wanted to say, but people know what I'm trying to say. It's, it's, <laughs> been, a long, it's been a long night. Um, we've already had the two birds, one stone and two loads of bread or whatever the fuck it was. So I'm, yeah. I've got to the point. Uh, shockingly, I won't be playing Michael Block at 6-9 in the 6K range, but I will be playing um, David Lingworth at 6-2. Don't, don't understand that price at all. Um, I'm gonna go- I like 6K. Go on. I want to go champ, and I just wanted to make an amendment to what I said earlier. I said feed two uh, birds with one piece of bread, but the, <laughs> the actual one that they that Peta changed, um, it's a new language guide they posted because these are really important things. You can't say that anymore. Now you have to say feed two birds with one scone. 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 Is that a, is, is, yeah? You know? Yeah. It's a it's a massive thing over here. Yeah, but because like, it rhymes. Two birds and one scone instead of two birds and one stone. Feed two birds with one scone. I don't know why I said piece of bread, which obviously probably was never going to be saying. But <laughs> I just think it's a bit of a mouthful. Two, two birds with one piece of bread. <laughs> well, birds eat bread. That's what people feed birds, right? Or maybe that's ducks. I don't know. Uh, that is ducks. People don't. But I've never seen anyone throw a scone at a bird either. <laughs> so yeah, true. I've also never seen them throw a stone. So I don't know what pets are worried about anyway. But there we go. That's a discussion. That's definitely a different podcast. If we want to get into that one, let us know. Yeah, uh, Tom. This is what I know you're gonna do. You're gonna come up with a pun on that and put it in golf terms and put it as the name of the show this week. Yeah, I wish I was that intelligent at 11:30 at night uh, yeah. on a Monday. Uh, I'll let you do that. But um, where was I? 6K. So I definitely like um, Lingba for 6,200. I didn't find a, lot, a whole lot else that I loved down there. At some point, Russell Knox has got to come back with vengeance. Him and him and Troy Merritt just keep like bottom feeding 6K ranges. Imagine that in a world where Kevin Kisner, Russell Knox, and Troy Merritt are 6,100. And oh, Michael, Michael Block is 6,900. Kisner's been good here, too. Kisner can't play golf anymore, though, can he? No, a barstool curse. Okay. Um, I wonder if Callum Tarrant can do anything at 6,200. He was decent last week, huh? Yeah. We saw a lot of his shots over on Sky Sports. Um that's it for me. Anyone else for you in 6K? Nah, I like Champ. Um, I'm going to play some Kim, just a bounce back thing, let everybody down. Um, geez, Matt Wallace already back down here. Huh? It doesn't take much, yeah, does I did, it? I thought that. 6,700. And Austin Eckroat as well, I thought it was quite cheap. Eckroat, yeah. he's a He was good in Texas the other week, wasn't he? Yeah, and isn't he playing well in that qualifier right now, which is also in Texas? 
Yeah, I think you got to play Ekro. I, he, I even... he was the 54-hole leader in the Byron Nelson. And he's that cheap? And he was fifth at the Corrales. He made the cut at Quail Hollow, made the cut at the Mexico Open. I think he grew up in Texas, too. Did he go to, was he the, was he an Oklahoma guy? Yeah, but I, there was some Texas tie-in, too, because I remember I was pissed I didn't play him because I, like, I looked at it and I ignored it. He is an Oklahoma State guy, but I think... I'm sure he was doing well. I'm going to check this US Open live leaderboard to see where he is right now. Oh, tell me what Sergio's doing, too. Does that end today? Yeah, they're playing 36 holes. Okay. There's uh, the leaderboard. So as it stands, Carson Young is leading at 15 under. He's still got seven holes to go. Brent Grant is second at 11 under. He's got a few, few holes to go as well. Austin Ekro is tied second at 11 under also. Graham McDowell is nine under. Wow. And currently in the spot for a US Open spot. Sergio is currently clinging on to the last spot uh, with four holes to go. Wow. Ryan Palmer has just dropped out by one shot currently. Speaking of that, I think the Sergio thing, we could do a full show on Sergio too. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't. I want, go on. I want to write a book on Sergio. Yeah, I don't like Sergio. So that would be an interesting I just, one. I just think it's fascinating the way he came up and was the like everyone loved him and he was this young charismatic superstar and then all of a sudden he became now at 43 years old he's the most hated golfer on the planet yeah yeah he's interesting like, there, there's definitely a story to it like regardless of what people have an opinion the best story is the one that divides opinion that's what we started the show with right all, all those hours ago that we started talking um yeah there we go i reckon that's the end otherwise we will start writing this book uh, <laughs> and if you do that well we'll publish it right but um cool that's the that is the Charles Schwab challenge. No no DP World Tour bets on this, but you can go on to uh, the show on the Mayo Media Network with me and Sky. We've done that. Uh, my picks will be a national club goal for in written form tomorrow as well. Check out Matt's bets on Action Network this week, um, particularly his first round leaders, because apparently that's what wins every week. So I'll just be yeah. taking picks from you every week now. Um, and let's have a week. Yeah, I'll, I'll end by saying this, you know, because we. Um... Drafting show and betting show this week. I'm gonna to try to feed two birds with one scone, win a win a outright, and then also win a DraftKings contest. That sounds good. Get those scones ready. Cheers, guys. All right. Bye.